Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come into this place and just fill our hearts with worship for you and praise and glory for all the things that you do in our world. We pray that we would be able to worship with open hearts and clear minds. Bend our will to yours, Lord, so that we may serve you better. In your praise name we pray, amen. this lamp here. So, I have a question. Can you turn this on, this, this particular one on, just by talking to it? No? What do you got to do with it? Plug it in. You got to plug it in. Okay, you got to use this thing right here. Well, why do we need to do that? What, what, what is so great that comes out of that wall? Yeah. It needs to shine. It needs power. That's right. Well, it is the same thing with our walk with Christ. We need his power in order to share the gospel. Unless we are plugged into God, unless we have that relationship with him, it's not, it's not going to work. But when we plug it in, our light shines. And so, what, what does light do? I know, I just gave it away. But 
light shines. And so the same way when we plug into Jesus, we burn brighter. And so other people around us can see light in a dark place. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your power that you illuminate our paths, you make dark places bright. And I, I pray that you would help us to walk in your light, to have this relationship with you and realize that our power comes from you. We love you. Amen. Let's go to the prayer, go to the Lord in, in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would bless this offering and that you would be with everyone, that you would be able to bless us as we bless others. May your will be done. In your name we pray, amen.
Thank you very much. We feel very welcomed. Sharon and I both. She's, she's sitting back there, just nodding her head. She's, she's waiting. <laughs> if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 2, that's where we will be. So, Thank you all for the hospitality, the generosity. Thank you for making us feel very welcome. Uh, we're, we're still, th thank you for everyone that helped us move in. I know that was like, what, two weeks ago? Was that? Yeah, it's, we've had a lot happen <laughs> the last couple of weeks. So uh, thank you all for that. I hope we didn't break anybody uh, moving our stuff. But. Sharon and I are starting to settle in, starting to figure out where everything is around here, all the good restaurants. 
I think we hit them all in one afternoon. Um, I'm not quite used to these hurricanes, though. That's, that's new to me. I'm still, I've, I've been out here seven years, and I'm still, still not quite used to those. I'm used to the ones that last about 10 minutes. Um, there's still a lot of flooding. We're thankful because it was looking like it could have been a much bigger, much more devastating hurricane. And I think that really shows God's power there is that it wasn't, didn't get any bigger. In fact, it was a Cat 4. And if I remember correctly, it went from a Cat 4 down to a, what, Cat 2 in like a day, if not a night. And I know there were a lot of people praying to just limit that damage and limit all of that. And it's amazing that God is more powerful than a hurricane. And that's, and that's really what I want to talk to you today, the power of God and the wisdom of man and the foolishness of the gospel. I want to persuade us to put our faith in the power of God over the wisdom of man. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul speaking here, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I had determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So the first thing we see in this passage, Paul looks at man's wisdom in proclaiming the gospel. A little bit of background here, and the great thing about Paul here is he's already laid out the background in chapter 1. The church in Corinth was, he had heard that they were on the verge of a split. There were people coming in saying, oh, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus. And they were trying to basically split themselves up and divide the church. And Paul brings this back to his original message. And he says, when I came and I preached to you, I didn't preach to you this division. I preached to you the gospel. I didn't, and he starts talking about how he preached to them, his, the performance, the, the content and he says there were these, these philosophers in the street in the middle of that day. And what they would do is basically they were kind of like street preachers or really street performers is more what they were. These guys would go out in the middle of the street in Corinth and they would say, hey, look at me. I can give a really good talk. I can give a really good speech. Wasn't that great? You should applaud me. And so Paul, he, he wants to set himself Aside from that, a good summary, uh, and he, he's saying that this kind of attitude was bleeding over into the church. That these guys, that this look at me attitude was bleeding over. And this is pretty much the entire crux of, you know, the entire book of Corinthians, first and second, is how do we combat these divisions? I think a good summary is 1, 22, and 23. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. 
So the Jews couldn't understand how you had a, a Messiah, a Christ, who is the anointed one of God, who suffers and dies. How can you be blessed and cursed at the same time? That doesn't make sense. And the Greeks said, this is foolish. You can't have a God that dies. Then he's not a God. And so on, in both of these societies, both of these cultures, this was a foolish message. These were foolish words that Paul was preaching. And so you not only is a crucified Messiah foolish, the Corinthians becoming believers is foolish, and Paul's preaching it is also foolish. He's just rounded this all out. So we look in chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of speech. This is his form. This is his presentation. He didn't come talking big and loud and, hey, look at me. I am really great. I'm smart. I can really talk really well. He didn't come like that. I didn't talk superior. He wasn't trying to act like he had it figured out. In verse 4, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. So he wasn't trying to trick them into believing the gospel either. This is the content. He says, my, my form wasn't outlandish and my content, I wasn't trying to somehow finagle you into believing that Jesus is, is the Christ. Now, I don't want to disparage Christian wisdom, learning, understanding. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> because we've got some really smart people out there and we should, we should really listen to them. But here he is talking about we're not trying to trick people into becoming Christians. What I would say is, you ever, you ever catch people doing this? I would say politicians do this a little bit, right? We have an election coming up in the next month or so, something I've heard. But you might have heard them going around and trying to, to talk to people, to raise their image, to, to make it look. They're, they're giving speeches, they're giving, making themselves look better, trying to get this image so that they can get a vote. We also see this in modern day philosophers. They're still around, by the way. They, I like to think that they you know, like to call themselves activists. And the idea is, we have this philosophy, this way of doing life, and we want to persuade you in one way or another, whether it's peacefully or by force, to believe our philosophy. I see this with car salesmen. Sign here. Not all of them. Not, not, not getting on you if you're a salesman. But, <laughs> but there's some people out there that sign here before you realize what you did. That's not what Paul is trying to do here. In fact, he is trying his best to say, I am not a politician. I am not a philosopher. I am not a car salesman. I want you to believe because the message is good. How often are we drawn to the things that look and sound good but have no substance whatsoever? If something like... And, if something lacks a good presentation, 
Are we turned off from it? Does it make it any less valuable? That was presented poorly, so that must be wrong. If your likes on Facebook, if nobody likes your post on Facebook, does that still mean that the entire community read it? Yes. Everybody saw it. So, if Paul is trying to avoid just becoming another clever voice in the crowd, how then did he present himself? Verses 2 and 3. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We see Paul's weakness in presenting the gospel. This seems very counterintuitive. Paul was a very, very smart man. That goes without saying. He wrote most of the New Testament. He studied under uh, this member of the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel, who's actually mentioned in the Bible in Acts. He actually keeps the church from getting persecuted, believe it or not. He's a very wise, very, very great, highly respected member of the Jewish society. And yet, Paul personally studied under him. So Paul was a philosopher. He was very well trained in philosophy. So what does he do here? He says, I am determined to know nothing. I intentionally make sure that I am going to leave my message to one thing and one thing only. He doesn't want the gospel to be distracted by anything else. He wants it unfiltered. This is his content, that Jesus is the Messiah and he was crucified and resurrected. He's treating this term crucified as if the crucifixion and the resurrection are one event. It's encompassed there. But we also see he came in weakness, fear, and much trembling. So, it's very possible to think that Paul was an expert speaker. I mean, does, does anybody even want to challenge that? Like, oh, you know, he, he wrote most of the New Testament. He's one of the world's greatest evangelists. He knew exactly what he was doing. No. Maybe not. It's very possible that he was actually a much better writer than he was a speaker. And this is evidenced here by him saying, I came in weakness, fear, and trembling. I was kind of scared to give this to you. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, he actually is getting this rebuke. He got this rebuke from some of the other leaders in the Corinthian church who said, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. The Corinthian church just called Paul's speech contemptible and called him unimpressive. And so there's this idea that he wrote these very strong letters. This is what you need to do. This is, this is what's going on. You need help here, 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 and here. But then when he was among them, he was kind of like, I'm just going to sit back, see how you're doing. 
He's not going to come in and run the show. And so his form may have been contemptible, but he had such respect for the gospel that he was determined. He was weak. He was fear. He was in fear. He was trembling. Because the message he had to bring, he knew the importance of it. And yet, he's presenting a foolish concept in a foolish way to, quite honestly, people that are foolish. And yet, some of them believed. I mean, if I'm going to look at this, it's almost like, I mean, let's look at, if Paul was given a performance review by his boss in this moment, what would that look like? It's almost like he set out to fail at every level. <laughs> I came and I kind of talked a little like this. and um, I just got something for you here. Let me look. It gives me great comfort, quite honestly. <laughs> but he will be completely unappealing, especially if we you know, judged him by the standards of our world. Power, money, fame. but he purposely humbled himself so that the cross may be lifted up. Let me ask you, where is weakness in your sharing with the gospel? Is it your voice? Does it, does it crack? Does it, does it waver? Does it, are, are you just uncomfortable with sharing the gospel? Is it something that you don't even really want to do at all? Are we maybe scared that we need to be smarter? That we need to be a scholar? No. We have a lot of comfort here. That Paul was weak in his presentation of the gospel. And yet still, the Corinthians believed. So how? How did the Corinthians believe at almost a complete abject failure. The third thing we see is God's power in proclaiming the gospel. In verses 2 and 4 and 5, let's look at 4 and 5. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So this word demonstrated, this also means proof. This was his proof. He was was testing it. It was proven. If the gospel can still have effect even through his weakness, then it really truly is by the power of God because there's no other way that it could work. This seems counterintuitive. Better yet, it seems foolish. Real power does not lie in the person or the presentation, but in the work of the Spirit. God refuses to play games of power and prestige on human terms. He does this on his level. And here the Corinthians are trying to drag God down to their level. And he goes, no. The gospel is effective whether or not you are. 
I find that very comforting. We also go back to verse 2. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was the message. And I think this is summed up very well. What, what is the power of God? If, if we are not relying on the wisdom of men but on the power of God, we just look back to chapter 1, verse 18. He defines it. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In short, the Corinthians came to faith by focusing on the cross of Christ. It seemed foolish to everyone else. And they must now, Paul is saying, you're being divisive. Return to this focus. And I think we all need a reminder every now and again to return to the focus of cross of the cross. Because that is our entire focus. That is the power of God. That is the ultimate display of the power of God. He saved us from our sin by himself dying in our place and rising from the dead. That is power. A clever argument is just at the mercy of a clever argument. You talk about playing this game on human terms. You know, if somebody has a really good wit about them, the only thing that they need to be taken out is somebody who's even got a quicker wit. And Paul's saying, I don't want to play those games. God's saying, I don't want to play those games. My message is the cross. Faith depends on the vital contact of the human with God. So what do I say? Our faith in this church is not dependent upon how great a speaker I am, how great an evangelist you are to this community, which I hope you are doing, but it's not dependent upon whether you're great at it. Our faith is dependent upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And that is what we should be spreading, even if we fail. The danger that we have is our own self-reliance. The gospel is not performance-driven. It is God-driven. So let me ask you, are you looking for the wrong thing here? What are you looking for? What is your faith based on? Is it based on the persuasive words of men? Or is it based on the wisdom of God and his power at the cross? I believe we have hymn 3, 434.